Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll read there together in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving season and um, uh, several things in your bulletin you'll notice. I wanted to just call your attention to a reception we're having for Mike Carricker and his family in two weeks. Mike's been a pastor here for 18 years on our church staff and has uh, been diagnosed with Parkinson's and uh, he's going to medically retire and we want to bless him and his family as they leave and if you want to help in those ways I think that's a good thing to do. You also may notice we have a pastor coming uh, next week, Aaron Walling, pastor to 30s and 40s. really want to focus on um, some attention on the, that area um, and we're excited about him coming as well. Well, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to read there. And you may remember Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth between 1 and 2 Corinthians. We have those two letters, but it's a letter we don't have. We don't know the details, but we know Paul wrote a hard letter to the church at Corinth. He loved them deeply, but he told them the hard truth. And he was concerned about how they would respond. You know, sometimes when we face those difficult moments, rebuke and someone tell, even the truth can be painful sometimes. And God used that pain in the, ch- the life of the church of Corinth. Let's, read, let's pick up the story in verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The Bible says, I now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because, because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God wills, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong or because of the one who was wronged, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. For if I have made any boast to him about you, I've not been disappointed, but as I've spoken everything to you in truth, so our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. I want you to get a principle with me. Would you just note this uh, important principle to get? God often uses pain to lead us to spiritual growth. God often uses pain to lead us to spiritual growth. And Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and it was a painful letter. And he told them the truth, but it was a painful truth. And he said they needed some correction, and he brought some rebuke to them. And we don't like those things very much. None of us wants pain. We don't like pain very much. But God often, have you noticed this? Often God uses pain in our lives to lead us to the spiritual growth he wants for us. And God does this because God is more concerned about your growth than about your comfort. Did you know that? He cares more about your growth than he does about your comfort. The goal of of God for your life is not ease. That's not the goal. Something far deeper than that. God wants, he cares about your faith more than he cares about your feelings. And so God will tell us the truth and God will even bring pain to our lives as a means by which we can consider this deeper spiritual growth that God wants for us. We, we sort of know this in our um, 
in the physical world, if you've been in sports, you know that there was some pain involved. You had to work hard. Maybe you ran or you lifted weights. You had to train. And we even have a saying that goes with this principle. No pain, no gain. And the Bible is saying to us, God is reminding us that pain is often the avenue by which God brings great spiritual gain to our lives. And God wants to use even the pain you're going through, whatever it might be, whether it's self-inflicted pain or pain outside of your own responsibilities or pain that God has brought directly or just the pain that happens in this broken, fallen world. God wants to use that to grow us. We often say here, don't waste your pain. God will use your pain to help others. If you're going through a difficult time, I just remind you someone else is as well. And God wants to use your pain as a means by, of helping others who are going through that same sort of thing. But God also uses our pain to mold us and shape us and strengthen us and teach us and grow us and deepen us. And so let's note four principles uh, that this passage teaches us, really a progression God uses in his word to remind us of this overall principle that God often uses pain to lead us to spiritual growth. So principle number one, God, godly grief leads to repentance. Godly, godly grief leads to repentance. That's taught to us in verse 9 and verse 10. Uh, Paul says, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. I'm not happy that you had to go through the pain, but because your grief led to repentance. So Paul told the truth, the hard truth, and it led somewhere. There was a purpose behind it. He didn't like that they had to face pain. He didn't rejoice over their grief but that conviction that pain from the lord the truth that god had a standard and they weren't meeting that was used by god to lead somewhere and it was leading to repentance or in verse 10 the bible says for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret god is teaching us that he wants to use pain and grief and conviction to point us somewhere to lead us somewhere not just god doesn't just tell us where we're wrong just so we know we're wrong but he tells us where we're wrong so that we will repent and find his better way notice this can be true for salvation um, you might not like maybe some of you are here who have not yet trusted christ as savior or you're watching online or hearing on the radio you've not yet given your life to christ and you might say something like this if you say this it's a very common thing to hear i don't really want to hear about sin I don't want to hear about judgment. I don't like the idea very much of being reminded that God is holy and I'm not. But God tells you that hard truth because he's leading you somewhere. And he'll tell you the truth about the grief of sin and bring conviction to your life because it points you to your need for salvation. It reminds you of your need to repent and to find forgiveness full and free in Christ. And so while we don't like it, we want to run from it, we want to ignore it, God uses that pain for good in our lives. Some of you here who have already trusted Christ as Savior, God used that in your life as a means of showing you that you needed the Lord and that you couldn't depend just upon yourself. Those of you who already know Christ as Savior, we still, God often brings to us, even though we've been forgiven of the penalty of sin, sin can very easily slip back into our life. I don't have to tell you that, right? You've known that in your own life. You've seen that in your own actions, how easy it is to go, to go back to the old ways. And God will bring conviction to you and grief over sin so that you come to repentance. And we don't like that very much either. Sometimes we want to run from it. Often when we 
are convicted by sin, our response is sort of to run. But the Bible is telling us that godly grief produces something. Verse 10 says godly grief produces repentance. Verse 9 says your grief led to repentance. Can I just say a word about repentance as well? Repentance, we use it in the English language a little bit differently than it means biblically. We say when someone's, if we say someone's not repentant, we often mean they don't, like they don't feel bad for what they've done. Some guy's done some terrible crime. He's in the news, he's done some terrible crime. And we say, that guy's not even repentant. And we, we mean by that, he doesn't even feel sorry for it. What he's done, he's done his terrible, man, what a terrible thing he did. Terrible crime, and he doesn't feel sorry for it. But repentance is more than that. Biblical repentance is more than that. You can feel sorry for things and never change at all. But biblical repentance is about a change in attitude or action. It's about a change in attitude or action. So I used to get this wrong. I haven't been in the military, so you military folks will just have to excuse me because sometimes I get things wrong. And I used to say repentance is sort of like about face, but it's not exactly right. Now, I, about face is the, you know, if you watched, you know, any war movie or anything and you knew about face, that's an easy one. And that's just you turn, you're, from, you're facing one way, you face the other. All right. But you know, you can face the other way. Like you can say, I'm, and you're going, you're facing sin and then you face, and you see what God has to say and you can just glance at what God has to say and not change one thing. So it's not, that doesn't get to it exactly. So there's another, I know not all of you are in a in military in a really marching uh, experience all the time in your life, but some of you have been. And there's this sometimes used march. One of the Marines um, came to me after the service. He told me I got this right. So, you know, if a Marine says it, you know, it's got to be right. He said, it's to the rear march. I watched a YouTube about this. I wanted to get it right. So that's where guys are marching one way, and then they say to the rear march, and they swing immediately and just go the other way. And you hope the guy you know, behind you didn't mess up. I mean, that's what you're kind of hoping, I guess. So you're walking one way, you're marching one way, and then you immediately turn and go the other way. That's a pretty good analogy for what the heart of repentance is. It's where I say, I'm going the wrong way, and I don't just feel sorry about it, but I'm going the other way. I'm going to go God's way. And God uses in our life this pain of conviction for a purpose. He wants to lead us to repentance. He wants us to find repentance, to change. And so God does, he'll bring this to you. The spiritual guilt is an unhealthy kind of guilt, of course, that though God has forgiven, you never forgive yourself. I get that. But God uses healthy biblical guilt to remind us where we need to change. Grief, godly grief rather than worldly grief. Genuine conviction. He brings that pain to us for a purpose, and godly grief leads to repentance. Now, let's, there's a second part to this. I want you to note that godly repentance leads to diligence. Godly repentance leads to diligence. So we don't just turn from something, we turn to something. Verse 11 talks to us about, uh, consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as, God's, as God wills, has produced in you. So note this, that the grief that we feel that leads to repentance is producing something in us. And it's producing in us diligence, verse 11 says. Some use the word earnestness here, or zeal. Diligence is about being careful and persistent in your work or effort. And so godly repentance is always leading us to, the, to diligence. It's not just turning away from the wrong thing, but it's to, turning to the right thing, to the careful and persistent work that God calls us to. 
to a consistent effort, to earnestness and zeal in our lives. And let's note what the Bible teaches us, teaches us about this in verse 11. So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. And then in the grief and the repentance, here's what happened. What a desire to clear yourselves. I said, we're not going to continue to bring shame to our name. We're going we're gonna to go the right way and bring honor to our name. What indignation. They were heartbroken over the sin, whatever it was that was in their life. What fear. They began to fear God, not in the sense that you can't predict God, but you realize God is holy and righteous. What deep longing. Deep within, they began to desire to, the things of God, to long for Him. What zeal. There's passion. What justice. They saw God was a just and holy God. And in every way, verse 11 says, you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So godly repentance is leading somewhere as well. It's leading to diligence, to careful and persistent work or effort. I don't know if any of you, did any of you watch football games over the Thanksgiving holidays? Vicki said to me several times, is there another football game? Yes, honey, there's always another football game. There's always one after another, after another, after another. And I noticed every team wants to win. Did you notice that? Every team wants to win. Every fan base wants to win. Every team wants to win. But so much of what goes into that is really the part you don't see. The diligence, the training, the effort, spring training, training camp, weightlifting, running, practice after practice after practice after practice. It's the diligence of life. It's the consistent work and the consistent effort. And God wants that for our spiritual lives. And so he brings to us the pain of conviction to lead us to repentance. And he doesn't just have us repent from something, but to something. And diligence is that activity of putting into practice the, the work and the effort that God calls us to that lead us to the kind of life he wants us to have. And so I want to make application by asking you to get active in your spiritual life. Don't just expect someone else to kind of fix your spiritual life. You take personal responsibility. We want to help all we can, but you take personal responsibility. So we say as a church, we, we encourage people to be involved in personal devotions, to read the Bible for themselves, to spend time in prayer, at least five out of seven days every week. Every day is great with me, but at least five out of seven days where you're reading God's word and you're spending time in prayer. If you've not read through the New Testament, I want to encourage you to do that. Very doable. Two chapters a day, five days a week, and you'll have read the entire New Testament in half a year. It's that doable. I've met several people who have told me recently they finished the New Testament this year for the first time, and I'm glad for that. I want you to, I want you to know it well. I want you to read it over and over, really get to know the New Testament. You, you don't have to read just Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. You can skip from one book to another. And, but over time, really get to know the New Testament. And then I'd love for you to read the whole Bible for yourself over and over. You could do that in a year. Now, I'm telling you, that'll take a little more effort than just the New Testament. It's a big, big book, 66 books. But over time, you begin to understand more of God's purpose and plan. You begin to slowly put things together. And I tell you, there's a lot of things, you'll have questions that'll come along and there'll be some struggles to really fit it. But over time, you begin to, and then spend some time in prayer. Wouldn't you like 
to pray. Don't you have some people in your life you'd like to pray for every day? And people who matter to you, people you care about? Couldn't you at least once a week pray for some people who God has put in your life to really pour out your heart to God in prayer, to begin to pray about the things that matter to God? And this is diligence. It's about some consistency, some discipline, some hard work, some effort, caring about the things that matter, some earnestness, some passion, and give yourself to this. And we don't just turn from sin, but we turn to diligence. There's a third principle I want you to note. Godly diligence leads to comfort. It's leading somewhere as well. And the Bible tells us in verse 12, Paul says, even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong. It wasn't just because of that sin or because of the one who was wrong, not just because of the victim, but in order that your devotion to us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. Paul's saying, listen, it's not just about the event itself, but about the spirit, the attitude, and the actions to follow. Paul's saying, I wanted to find out if all the efforts I've had for the church at Corinth, all the times I've cared about you and loved you, rebuked you, told you the hard truth, told you the things that were difficult, helped you, prayed with you, I wanted to see that wasn't in vain. Man, I cared about you, he said. And I prayed for you, and I loved you, and I encouraged you. And sometimes I had to rebuke you, and sometimes I had to discipline you, and sometimes I had to tell you the hard things you didn't want to hear. Some of what I had to say was super popular, and some of it did not match the culture at all. But I wanted to see that it wasn't in vain. And he said, when I found that out, he says in verse 13, for this reason we have been comforted. So there was a comfort that came to know that all that effort and all that hard work mattered and lasted. I want to tell you a secret, you students. If you're a student, I'm going to tell you a secret. You don't know this yet. You don't probably, some of you don't realize this is true. But your teacher wants you to succeed. Did you know that? I mean, maybe you've got a terrible teacher. I don't know. But if you've got a good teacher, they want you to succeed. I mean, maybe you have a terrible teacher. You're homeschooled or something, or your parent. I'm telling you. Your parent wants you to succeed, right? Most of your school teachers will care deeply about your success. They don't want you to fail. You might think that, that their goal is just to tell you where you're wrong. But they want you to succeed. Your coach. Your coaches want you to succeed. They want you to improve. They want you to get better. I mean, if they're a good coach at all, they want you to have success. Your life group teacher wants you to succeed spiritually. They tell you the hard things about God's word because they care about you and love you. They're not just trying to point out where you're wrong. They want, to, they want you to find the, God's purpose and plan. It brings joy to their heart. They find great comfort in discovering this. I think one of the great joys of my heart is to see people who begin to follow the Lord. I've been here a long time now. I've seen people go the wrong way, and it's, it grieves me. And I've seen people who, who just get it and who follow the Lord and who serve Him well and grow in their faith. And there's such comfort that comes to know that that effort man, wasn't in vain. And God wants that for you. So I want to ask you a question. Is your life group teacher comforted by you? Is your spiritual mentor comforted by you? Is your pastor 
comforted by the diligence seen in you. Because God brings comfort to us when we see godly diligence in the lives of others. And God wants you to be a comfort to those who care about you most, to those who love you most deeply. And that diligence, that faithfulness, that consistent effort and work, that earnestness and that zeal leads somewhere and it leads to the comfort of those who have been working and toiling for your good. Now, there's a fourth principle I'd like you to know with me. Godly comfort leads to joy. Comfort leads somewhere as well. It leads to joy. In fact, Paul talks about this in verse 13. He says, we've been comforted by you, and in addition to our own comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. Paul's saying Titus was refreshed when he found out you were really following. You know, Paul sent this letter. He wondered how they would respond. And when he saw that that godly grief led to repentance and that repentance led to diligence and that diligence brought comfort to him, there was great joy that came for Titus and for Paul. He had told Titus how the church at Corinth cared deeply and how he believed their heart was to follow the right way. And when he discovered that that was true, he was delighted to see that. And then he says in verse 16, I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. He talked about the joy in past victories. And I tell you, there's a great joy in past victories. One of the, reason, one of the reasons God reminds you of past victories is to remind you of what he's done in the days gone by. We celebrate a thing like Thanksgiving to remind ourselves to remember how God has brought victories to us in the past so that those victories can lead to victories in the future. Paul talked about past tense early in those verses, and then in verse 16, he uses present tense, I rejoice. It went from I rejoice to I rejoice. And he's saying there's joy in my present circumstances and future conditions and all the potential that comes. And I'm rejoicing that I have confidence that God who began a work in you, Church of Corinth, will continue that work. And God began a work in you. And he has, he, he, I want to I have great joy in knowing that the God who began to work in you is continuing to work and that as you follow him, God will bless that. And so the Bible teaches us this progression that godly grief and conviction and pain and rebuke leads somewhere, it leads to repentance. And when we repent, we don't just turn from something, but we turn to something. We find diligence, careful and persistent work and effort. And that leads to comfort as we see that the work that others have done in us are not in vain. And that leads to joy as we recognize that God is accomplishing his purposes through us. And we have joy in the past and joy in all the future potential that we have. There are a million Marvel movies. I don't know if you knew this. Marvel movies are everywhere. And they've taken over the industry. And so uh, I know some of you are just, you love Marvel movies. And I, I've watched many of them. And I, you know, I like them fine. But some of you are deeply connected to Marvel movies. And um, if you know anything about Marvel movies, you may know about... Um, a guy named Thanos, who was a bad guy. And I have to say that because sometimes the movie's a little, sometimes a little ethically ambiguous, I'll say, but Thanos was a bad guy. I'll just tell you, he was a bad guy. And in a movie called Avengers Infinity War, is that right? Infinity War. He gets a, like a glove thing, a metal glove thing. And, I, okay, no, no detail. I'm just saying it's a glove thing. And he snaps his fingers, and half of the population of the universe disappears. He's a bad guy. 
But I read recently, some of you probably saw this as well, that he, this was scientifically inaccurate. <laughs> and that you cannot, you, know, you can snap your fingers, that friction with your fingers, but if it's metal, you can't do it with metal. Scientifically impossible. Surprisingly, a work of fiction has fictional works in it. Isn't that a shocking thing to find out a work of fiction is not entirely accurate? Well, some of you have said, how in the world is it possible for God to bring spiritual growth out of my pain? It's impossible. How can God bring growth and good out of the pain that I'm going through? That's impossible. And maybe it is for you. But I will tell you, it is supernatural. That there is a God who takes our pain and our grief, who loves us so much that he tells us the truth, even though it can hurt, who brings conviction to our soul for a purpose. And he does that to lead us to repentance because he's not satisfied to leave us in the wrong, to, to tell us to turn from what is wrong. And that repentance leads somewhere, and that leads to diligence. We don't just turn from something, but to something. And that diligence helps us to put down deep roots and brings comfort Helps us to see that there's a purpose to what we're doing and then that comfort leads to joy and we discover that God grows us and deepens us and stretches us and strengthens us. He molds us and conforms us to his image often using pain as a vehicle by which he accomplishes his purposes. Some of you are here who need to be saved. You need Christ as Savior. And God is telling you the hard truth that sin has consequences that you're a sinner, the hard truth, that you can't make it on your own, that you're not good enough to make it by your own merits, and that you need Christ. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ, to turn from self and sin and trust Christ who died for you and rose from the grave for you to save you. Many of you here have trusted Christ as Savior, but God's working on you in one of these areas because he wants to grow you. And so he's done some rebuking and some conviction in your life because he wants to lead to repentance so that you will find diligence, so that, you will, that will lead to comfort, so that will lead to joy, so that you become everything he wants you to become because God often uses pain to lead us to spiritual growth. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And maybe God's got some business he wants to do with you. Maybe you need to trust Christ as Savior. And right where you are, right wherever you are hearing this message today, I want to ask you to turn from yourself in sin and to trust Christ. Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Christ rose from the grave to conquer sin, death, and hell. Trust him as Savior. Give your life to Christ and he'll save you. Christian, would you say, God, I want to grow. I want to deepen. Use the pain in my life. Don't, don't let me waste the pain, but use it in my life to grow me and deepen me and strengthen me and help me to be conformed to your image. Stretch me, mold me. Use me to make a difference for your glory. And Father, I'm, I'm asking you to even use this pain in my life as a means by which you will grow me into the person you want me to be. And Father, I want to thank you for your word. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it cuts. Sometimes it rebukes. You bring discipline to us. And yet you do all of that because you love us. Not just to tell us where we are wrong, but to tell us what we can be in Christ to grow us, 
to stretch us, to deepen us, to strengthen us, to transform us. And so, Father, do your work in us so that your name is glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.